Welcome back to Zillennials Podcast. Today on Zillennials, we're going to be talking about the Asian American experience. On this episode, we have a special guest, Kaylee's friend, Kate. Hi, Kate. Hello. Thanks for having me. So I thought something that would be helpful to start off with is kind of a very brief general overview because I think a lot of the Asian American experience is not really, there's not a lot of time spent on it in history classes, at least in my experience. So I'm thinking maybe some of our listeners don't know the history So to start with, in the 1800s, there was a lot of immigration from Asia. Specifically, there was a lot from China, and a lot of them did come to work on Transcontinental Railroad. And something that came along with that is this anti-Asian sentiment. And I think that the reason we're doing this episode now is because we have seen an increase in harassment and physical attacks on Asian people in America, whether they are from Asia or whether they're Asian American. I think a lot of people in that community have been going through a a hard time. We especially wanted to talk about this just because of the recent events that have been happening. And, you know, we felt like it wasn't right to stay silent during this time, especially. So going off of what Leanne was talking about with a little bit of that background, Like she was saying, there has been a lot of racism against Asian people and Asian American people in the United States. One of the first things or places where we saw this would probably be the Chinese Exclusion Act, which essentially sought to ban Asian immigrants based solely on race. One thing that I thought was interesting is I always knew about the Chinese Exclusion Act. Like I think, you know, that was covered briefly you know, in high school. One thing when I was researching this episode that I either was never taught or didn't remember was the Geary Act, which came 10 years later. And it basically upheld the ban on Chinese immigration. And it required Chinese people in America to walk around with special identification cards. And the thing that I thought was so absurd was that if you didn't have your card, you would be sentenced to hard labor. And then pretty much the only way you could get out of it was to have like an honorable white person vouch for you. It just sounded ridiculous to me. I agree. Yeah, I've never heard of that. When I was looking through the notes, I that was the first time that I had seen anything about that because I know I've written a lot of papers on like Asian American history just because of like my studies. And so I would I was always use uh, the Chinese Exclusion Act. But then as like a follow up to that, I would usually talk about like the Immigration Act of 1965 or like the Heart Seller Act. Yeah, it was just interesting that I hadn't really learned about the Geary Act, even though I've been like studying Asian American history. So yeah, that's, that's obscene. I thought it was also interesting because I didn't know this part either. But when I was reading, it wasn't until 1943 that Chinese people were allowed to become citizens. So basically what the Chinese Exclusion Act and the Geary Act did was that Chinese people couldn't obtain naturalization, so they couldn't become naturalized citizens, and neither could their descendants. And so that ban was essentially upheld until 1943, and that just blew my mind because it's like, we're not even 100 years out from that. And also, another thing that I thought that was just, this really like blew my mind because I had no idea about this, and some of you might have already known, but like I had no idea. Around that same time, you had a lot of Asian Americans who were going and really making a life for themselves here. 
And they were being denied entrance into certain schools, like white people, essentially, or like the society back then was trying to have segregated schools for white people and Asian people, which I had never heard of. I thought that that was shocking. Like, why was that not talked to us in like history class? I think that's a big question that I have is like, why isn't this being addressed in school? Because I don't know where it was like where you guys went to school, but I think where I went to school, maybe all I got on Asian American history was that par- like one paragraph on the Chinese Exclusion Act. What was your experience like? Yeah, the same exact experience in high school. That was the only thing we ever learned about Asian American history. Yeah, I think it was pretty similar for me. Like we didn't really talk a lot about anything else aside from like the Chinese Exclusion Act. And then I think we also talked a little bit, like just barely touched on like imperialism there, but a lot of it was kind of glossed over. So generally what I think we can see from this is this sentiment is not really something that's new. It's something that's been around for a long time. So this has been an issue in the United States for a long time. I think there's just been a lot more media coverage now with recent events But really, this issue has been here for quite a while, this racism. One of the great documentaries that I watched while researching this was We Need to Talk About Anti-Asian Hate by Eugene Yang, who's part of the Try Guys. And I think a lot of these examples I'm going to list come from that documentary, but there are historic examples. One thing we want to have people take away from this podcast is that this current spike Obviously, it's bad, but it's not like this is something new, like this existed before now. Some people may not realize, like they may think it's something new that's related, you know, like as a consequence of what happened with rhetoric around the coronavirus. But there's actually examples in the 1800s in Denver where basically a mob went in and attacked Chinese-owned restaurants and businesses. And then also in the 1800s in Seattle, there was basically a four-month riot because people were trying to push Chinese residents out of Chinatown because they just didn't want them there anymore. And one thing I thought was interesting, which kind of connects to what's happened now, is that in, I think it was in the early 1900s where there was an outbreak of the bubonic plague. And I forget where this took place, but the Board of Health burned down 41 businesses in Chinatown and forced all the Chinese or Chinese-American residents into like this forced quarantine. And it kind of connects to how when the Chinese immigrants came over to build the railroad, they were kind of associated with bringing disease and like not being clean. And I think it's interesting how this current spike started occurring after this global pandemic and the idea of disease and unhealthy and stuff like that. Yeah, I was actually just watching that documentary before our talk to like a little bit of a prep. And I thought that that was really interesting because especially its relation to to war. I don't know. I just think like and like imperialism, colonialism and all those things. And yeah, I think it just goes back into stereotypes and and lack of education, um, like within like the U.S. education system about the history Sorry, I know I had a more poignant thing to say about that, but it did not come out the way I wanted. I think that's been happening to me, too, where I have this whole eloquent thing in my head of how something's going to come out. And it's just kind of 
not. But I think because we started to talk about making this episode after the attack on the mostly Asian women in Georgia. And so I think it's been a a year of kind of processing this. And I think as part of that is like we may not be the most eloquent at certain times. And I think that's okay because I to me it's like I just want to put something out there that maybe will teach like one person something new. Yeah, and I guess it, it feels I don't know if you you guys feel this, but because we're even talking about something that's so big and has so many different implications, it feels like you have to say the right thing or to say it as best as you can in order to like make some kind of real impact or like do you know what I mean? I guess especially as like an Asian person talking about these things and like anti-Asian hate crimes, it's like don't don't say something that could potentially like be a setback to the movement. Do you know what I mean? I think I feel the same thing where like for example, like with what we were just talking about, where I'm like, I want to tell some of the people about the history so that they know these things have been happening. And so because I think a lot of people aren't taught this, but then I was like, Am I saying this in the right way? Like, I want to make sure I get all the facts right, like the places, like what happened, because it's like, I feel like it's like if I mess those up, some people, I feel like most people wouldn't actually think this, but I feel like some people are like, oh, well, she doesn't know anything. So like, you know, it doesn't really matter. And I think that it's also difficult because there is so many different things. Like, it's not just one or two events. Like, there are so many different events to cover. It's like, who's to say that one event is more important than another, you know? Yeah, everything that's happening right now, it's just, it's so layered and so many different things beyond COVID. Like, definitely that was a catalyst into all the stuff that we're seeing currently in the news about Asian American hate crimes. But again, like, going back to the documentary, there's all these things about, like, colonialism, imperialism, and the economic system, like, world economy playing into into what we now are experiencing and what's all, like, kind of culminated into. So it's hard to talk about. Which I think, especially if you're Asian and you want to put something out on this topic, I feel like there's this added pressure of just getting it right. And I think I had that because I was like, I want to make sure this is perfect. But then I'm also, I think I got to the point where I think it's more important for me to just say something than to not say anything because I'm constantly wanting it to be the perfect statement. So I... This was something that I don't think I knew about before researching this, but I'm also not surprised that it could be a thing. Have you guys heard of the bamboo ceiling before this? So I've heard about it where essentially it's like you will have that diversity in your employment, but there's like this bamboo ceiling where Asian people are typically not promoted above a certain level. So essentially it's like you have some of that diversity in the workforce, but Asians and Asian Americans are not being promoted at the same level as some of their peers. Right. And one thing that I read, I think my research for this came from the an article put out by the Harvard Business School, but basically their article was focused on Silicon Valley, where in the entry level positions, Asians are very well represented. And so there's this one company that did a study on diversity and they it was 19 pages long and they didn't mention Asians once and basically how they broke down that the, their categories were Asian men were categorized with white men in not underrepresented category and then Asian women I think were put into just 
like a general minority category, but other groups such as Hispanic people, Native American people, and African American people were individually named, but Asian people weren't. And I just think it kind of says something when a company's diversity research report doesn't even talk about a whole group. Yeah, and this kind of reminds me of a conversation that you and I have had a couple of times where you'll even see this sometimes with politicians where they won't acknowledge Asians as a minority group. They'll say, you know, people who are Hispanic, people who are Black, people who are Indigenous, um, and they will just completely leave out Asians as a group. And I think that that's a big a big issue that faces the Asian community. You know, this is just looking from the outside in because I'm white. I can't speak to your experience. But I think that things like that have become more and more common. And I feel like there's this kind of erasure because Asian people and Asian Americans are generally seen as a sort of model minority. Like I remember reading an article a while back about how schools, I want to say it was in Seattle or like generally the Washington area, were trying to group their Asian students in as being white. When I read that article, it really just rubbed me the wrong way because I was like, you know, that's erasing a whole experience that these people have had. Their experiences that I'm sure that Asians and Asian Americans have had that I have never had as a white person. And to, to try to kind of like shove that under the rug just didn't sit right with me. And I think what makes it so complex to talk about is that a lot of these things are interconnected. And I think that a big part, so there's a model minority where I think people tend to, when they think Asian immigrants, they tend to think people who are fine, like people who are economically stable, typically, you know, doctors, lawyers, scientists. And one thing that I think is really important to point out is that Asia is a whole continent. Like, you can't just say, oh, Asian people, like, they're all wealthy and they're, you know, well-educated because it's among all the different groups, there actually is the greatest wealth disparity between high-income earning people who are from Asian descent and people who with low incomes. It's not a monolith and you just can't say Asian people are this. And I feel like even within a certain country, you just can't say, oh, all Chinese people are doctors. I think one of the important things to do now is to get as many individual stories out there if we get more stories from different Asian or Asian American experiences, it can help break the idea of the monolith. Did we want to do a transition into talking about personal experiences? I think we can transition. We can always just bring things up as they fit in. Okay. So what have some of your personal experiences been like with this? Okay, I can start. Um, I guess starting with the recent events... Like, I know the night that I heard that the shooting in Atlanta happened, I don't think I fully processed what, what that meant until the next day when I was on social media and it was everywhere. And everybody was posting about it, talking about it. And like, I was following a lot of like Asian American influencers and they had these really long reaction videos just talking about what it meant to them and how they were talking about like, oh, this could have been my mom or my grandmother or my cousin and things like that. And even though I can't fully relate to that experience, it was still like, I don't know, it, it felt really weird because cause like I, I didn't grow up with Asian family members. So 
hearing about other people, like other Asian experiences and their interpretation or like not interpretation, like the reaction to everything that was happening. It was like, I, I felt affected, but I also felt disconnected to everything that was happening. So that was my initial reaction. But then also just like, cause I follow next shark on Instagram and every single day there would be some story about usually an elderly person getting beat up and it's just like every single day and it hasn't stopped since the shooting and there was lots of cases before that but now it's like I've almost become desensitized to it which is terrible but it's like it's happening so much that it's like I don't know it's like not easy to ignore but it's just like there's so many things like it's hard to to continually like letting it affect you For me, I remember very clearly that there's, I think it was about March a year ago, where there was a story about this family in Texas who were shopping, and then they were basically attacked in the grocery store. And I remember thinking, oh, like, because this was right after the shutdown when stuff, you know, was kind of just in general kind of scary. And then I remember kind of thinking, oh, that's really terrible and being a little freaked out by it. But I and then obviously throughout the year, you like Kate was saying, is like you just kept hearing more and more stories. But I think it didn't really start to sink in until what happened in Atlanta. And I don't know why that was the tipping point for me. But I think part of what outraged me about that was the thing about how I guess one of the officers at a press conference was basically just like, oh, this guy had a bad day. And I was just like, he killed like what, like six something people and you're calling it a bad day? And then how people were trying to debate it and trying to make it sound like it didn't have anything to do with race. And I think part of that is interesting because what I know about what happened was that it had to do with he wanted to eliminate his temptation. And I think just in general how there's the experience of Asian people, especially Asian women working in those salons and in those massage parlors and what people can expect of them there. It's like, I don't know how you can not associate the two things yeah i think it just goes back to like what we were saying earlier about like erasure of the asian experience especially like the like asian women and how people perceive asian women i think after atlanta is when it kind of the idea of going somewhere by myself kind of freaked me out because it's like oh well, it's not going to happen to me, but also I'm pretty sure all the people that it happened to probably, you know, thought like, oh, this probably won't happen to me either. So it's like this weird thing where it's like you can't stop your life, but also you're kind of I feel like now when I'm out, I'm hyper aware, like I never or in like a different way than I was before. I definitely relate to that. I think after everything happened, I was like very scared to go out of my apartment and I I don't want to say I was thankful that I had to cover my face, but I was like, oh, this is like a form of protection. It's a lot harder to tell I'm Asian, maybe, if I half my face is covered. And, and yeah, it is different because it's like one thing to go out and walk around by yourself as a woman, but then after everything happened, being Asian on top of it, it felt a lot scarier. And I was talking to one of my roommates about it, and she's um, mixed race. She's black and white. And she was said that she felt the exact same way after all the protests started, after George Floyd's death last summer. So, yeah, it's just, it's, it's scary. Do you still feel that way? 
I think so. Um, I mean, probably not going to say them on a podcast that's released to the public, but it's like I feel like I have changed the way I go about things since this happened. And I think like you were saying is I used to kind of have this hypervigilance more so when it was late at night. Kind of like the typical thing that I think, Kaylee, you could probably understand too as a woman where it's like you're kind of taught to just be aware at night, be aware of your surroundings. Like if you're walking late at night, like don't be alone, that kind of stuff. And I think what kind of scared me the most was the idea that you had to have that same type of hypervigilance in the middle of the day. Like you're saying, because like I enjoy night walks a lot. But I definitely feel that hypervigilance that you're talking about. And I can't even begin to imagine what it would be like for you all to feel that all the time because it's so nerve wracking. It's like you're always on edge. So I just I really hope that something changes because I don't want you all to have to feel like that. And you shouldn't have to. I remember after Atlanta, like the first time I went out by myself after that, I was looking behind my shoulder like every 15 seconds, like because it's just I think this is very interesting. Well, not interesting. It's a terrible experience, but it's interesting for me because I've never felt any of this before. I mean, I'd say before Atlanta, like even at the beginning of the pandemic, I didn't think feel this way. But it's like it doesn't always come up. But there is this like slight fear when you leave the house, like it's something going to happen to me today. And I think now because I've, you know, I've been out by myself a few more times. And so it's like I've kind of gotten used to it again post what happened in Atlanta. But it's just every now and then you're just kind of like, I don't know. It's just like we were saying, you just have to be more aware. But it's funny because it's like Kate was saying, I was like, well, half my face is covered. So I was like, I think I even asked my mom. I was like, okay, so what identifies me as like being Asian? Is it the nose? Is it the eyes? Like, is it the hair? And like I was thinking is that, okay, if I wear a mask, my nose is covered. And then I'm like, maybe if I wear sunglasses, then nobody will know. Nobody should have to think or have had that thought about themselves. Yeah, then I think it just like promotes like self erasure, (laughs) which is also terrible. I think one thing that makes it interesting for me, and I'm wondering if it's the same for you, Kate, is that growing up with I don't know about you, but I was the only Asian in my family. And I think I saw this on some Instagram post where it's it's makes it so much more complex where, like you said before, it's like you see these reactions from Asian American influencers and you can't completely relate to their reaction because you don't have those family experiences or like the experiences of like, oh, you're made fun of because of what you brought to lunch, that kind of thing. And so it's like this weird thing where I look like I belong to that group, but then my experiences don't align with it either. And so I feel like that's like a whole nother layer that makes it more complex. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I think the transracial adoptee experience is very specific and very specific within the Asian American community. So it makes racial things even yeah, more complex to talk about and to understand. And to reflect on, like after everything happened, I had like a group Zoom call with some some of um, my Asian American friends from college, and we were kind of just like talking through everything that happened. 
and I was asking them like how how they felt about talking to their parents about everything that's been happening and they were just saying how basically the same thing that a lot of the other people that I saw on Instagram that were, were reacting just like they they were scared it was going to be like their parents and their family members and that they were just like more fearful and I like I can def- like on a personal level I can understand what their specific like day-to-day experiences of that is but it it did feel a little bit hard because I was like I I just didn't know how to talk to my mom about that. And I don't know if that's like specific to like having a white mom or, or if like other Asian American people with Asian parents feel more comfortable because they are Asian. Like, I don't know what that dynamic would look like, but at least for me personally, like I know that it was really hard for me to talk to my mom about it because I just I felt like I didn't have the right vocabulary to, to talk about what I was feeling. And it felt really different than what the other girls in, in that group call were, were talking about. Did you ever see the Somewhere Between documentary? Yes, that documentary destroyed me. I watched it with um, one of, like another like, Asian American adoptee from China. And we were just like bawling our eyes out the whole time. It is so emotional. I would also highly recommend it for someone who wants to kind of see a window into what the Asian transracial transnational adoption experience is like, because I think they did a really good job on following girls that had different opinions and different levels of connection to China, because one girl wasn't really interested in all. One was fluent in Chinese and went back a lot. One found her birth family. And it's like, I think it did a good job of trying to not show everyone being the same. But the reason why I mentioned that is because I feel like that's what my life has kind of been like where in a way and in some situations you are you're not really seen as being Asian because you don't have the same experience like for example I know in high school there was someone who would he was like joking but it's like one of those jokes where like if you think about it you're like that's not really that funny because like he would sometimes like you know if there's some sort of reference to something that someone who was raised in an Asian family would know and I would say something about like oh I don't do that or I don't know what you're talking about kind of thing he would kind of joke and be like, oh, you're such a bad Asian. And I think people of Asian descent may joke with each other about that and say that, and it might feel different. But I think when you're adopted and you already are removed from like your Chinese culture and like the things that come with that in terms of like family history and language and food, to joke about being a bad Asian, it's kind of like, it's not really cool. Like, I didn't really have a say in any of this. Yeah. It's interesting because it's like to the obviously this isn't for to everyone, but I think sometimes it's like you can feel like you're not Chinese enough because you don't know all these things, but also you're not white enough because you don't look you don't look it. Even though like I know maybe specifically in like middle school and high school, it's like I just felt I feel like this isn't actually a thing, but I felt more white than I did Chinese just because of the cultural environment. I can't connect to people who were raised in, even if they're Asian American, who were raised with Asian parents. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the comment about being a bad Asian implies that there is a correct way and a very specific way to be Asian, to be connected to your culture and the language and the food and the customs and having Asian parents and knowing all like the specific things like take your shoes off at the door and eat rice with every meal and have very potent smelling food. Stuff like that. And I guess going off of that, it, like knowing that there were specific Asian things growing up, like 
experiences that a lot of Asian people with Asian parents had. It made me like want to pretend that I had that too, you know, to like identifying with like specific experiences, like taking your shoes off the door and like having specific kinds of cuisine indicated or like validated Asian identity to me. So then thinking about everything else that's happening and seeing responses and and people talking about their family members, it like made, I don't know, just like made me think about those types of things again. Like, what does it mean to, I don't know how to finish this thought, just like, am I valid enough or like Asian enough to feel that way as well? I think related to that is, I think it it's still a process. I'm probably not fully there yet, but then this process of kind of telling myself that the Chinese adoptee experience is a valid part of the Asian diaspora and that you can be Asian and you can you can be Chinese American without having I mean I did you know like I did cultural stuff you know when I was younger my mom would bring me to Chinese holiday events and Chinese culture camps and stuff I think in a way, I kind of felt that I was learning about China and its culture the same way I would have if I was white and wanted to learn about it. Whereas I think if I had an Asian family, I don't think I would have to go out and make an effort to learn it. I think it would just a lot of it would just kind of be internalized. And it's something I chose to like go learn more about it. So that that's fine with me. But I just think it's interesting. And I don't know what I'm going. I feel like a lot of a lot of the stuff I'm saying is like, I start off on like a track and then the train just like runs out of steam and stops going. But to your question, Kaylee. Well, you guys kind of answered it, but um, I was going to ask if you felt like you needed or wanted to seek out those experiences that someone with Asian parents may have had. Like, did you feel the need to go and seek out those experiences when you were younger? Not when I was younger. I feel like it was mostly my mom trying to like teach me about what it meant to be Chinese by like going to like Chinese school on the weekends or becoming friends with other like Chinese or Asian people at my school. But in college, and as you know, Kaylee, I was very, very into the Asian American community um, at college. But I think that's like, I was like, oh, this is my chance to to learn about an experience that I want to have. Not like I'm not grateful for the ones that I have, but like another experience that I was curious about socially and then also academically. I think that I was always interested in learning about, let's say, like taking Chinese or learning about the food and stuff like that. But I think when you grow up in a culture that's different than your birth culture, I think you get distracted by everyday life. I was still like a regular kid, whatever that means. But it's like, you know, I got distracted by hanging out with my friends or, you know, watching a TV show or doing my homework or like, you know, I took skating lessons. So I wanted to do that. And I remember I used to do skating and Chinese dance, but then it got to the point where like scheduling got too complicated and I had to pick one. So I picked skating. And so it's like, I think for me, at least my experience was like, I wanted to learn. My mom was supportive of me learning, which I think is wonderful because I know not all adoptees have that. But then also, I wanted to pursue my like normal everyday interests. I think also, I don't know about UK, but I think more specifically in middle school, a lot of it is like, you kind of just don't want to stick out. <laughs> and I think you're kind of already going through that regular like preteen stuff. But then it's like, I had this added thing that I had to think about and process that my friends really didn't. And 
And I think it's a lot for a kid to process of like, am I Asian? What does that mean? And also like, just for me, at least the need to always explain, like be like, oh, I'm Chinese, but my mom adopted me when I was little. And that's why I don't know these things. Yeah. Another thing that we can talk about is the idea, especially with Asians, of being a perpetual foreigner where people will always ask you where you're from. And I did mention this in my law school application essay, but I clearly remember sixth grade. So what, you're 10, 11-ish. And I was sitting at a table and the boys at the table just started interrogating me on like, quote, what I was. And they were like, oh, are you Chinese? And at that point, I was like, very like, no, I'm not Chinese. Like, I'm an American. So I told them no. And then they just started going, well, are you Japanese? Are you Korean? And they just kept cycling through. And it's like, I feel like if I was sitting there and I was white, they wouldn't just start asking me, are you German? Are you Polish? Like, are you British? Like, no one, I mean, I don't know because I'm not white, Kaylee, maybe this is for you. But like, no one seems to ask white people, unless I think they have an accent, where they're really from. Yeah, I can attest nobody has ever asked me that. Like, unless you're casually talking about like, oh, my grandparents are from here. Nobody asks you because nobody cares. They just look at you and they're like, you white. (laughs) Has anyone asked you if you speak German? No, (laughs) if they did, I could probably say like two words and that would be it. (laughs) I, um, you know, I am German, but, uh, Not like that. Like, I I cannot speak German. I do not have that capability. (laughs) And I think that's interesting, the whole expectation placed on people who are Asian. And I think people who are just not white. So, I mean, I don't know. I'm not African-American and I'm not like Latina. But I think there's this expectation that everyone who's not white, it has some sort of like super connection to their quote, like homeland. And one thing that bothers me about this is, like we said earlier in the episode, the first big wave of Chinese immigration happened in the 1800s. So, like, there are some Chinese Americans in this country whose, like, grandparents were born here. And they're still being asked, like, where are you from? Or, like, sometimes you're told to, like, go back to where you came from. And it's kind of just like, so, like, my home in the United States? What are you talking about? Yeah, because, like, those people... That would mean that, like, their grandparents and their family has lived in the U.S. for longer than mine has. And, like, I've never had somebody ask me, like, where are you, like, where are you from? Where are you really from? Sort of a question. Even though, like, my family has been here for three or four generations and other people have been here for even longer than that. Yeah, it goes back into this interesting, like, human psychological thing about, like, needing to categorize people. And I don't know what that does to know where someone is from or like where their homeland is. But yeah, I've noticed that too, that a lot of it is geared towards like non-white people and especially like Asian people. I actually have a story about this. This is not specific to Asians or Asian Americans, but I remember the other day, um, this was like actually a couple months ago, not actually the other day, but in my mind the other day. I remember I was at the grocery store and there was somebody who was, you know, checking the people out at the end of the line. And there was this dude who just went off on this literal child. Like they were a teenager and like started essentially like mocking them and like 
because the person was Latinx and like started speaking to them in Spanish, like super condescendingly, like, you know, saying like maybe the one or two words that they knew. But I was just so shocked that the person felt like they could go and say that at all, let alone in public. Like, thank goodness there were people who stepped up and essentially were like, that's absolutely disgusting. I can't believe you would say that. Like, that's just not right. That sense of entitlement. I know. Kate, have you ever had any experiences like that? I think that, like, that happened a lot during college, I think, just because... I know it's different because like I get that a lot from Chinese people where they would just start talking to me in Chinese. Like if I was at a restaurant or like our college had a lot of Asian international students. So sometimes if they needed help or had a question, they would just like start talking to me in whichever Asian language they spoke. And I'd be like, oh, I don't, I speak English. Sorry. It was just like a weird experience. Or on the other side, I would go somewhere and like, Like sometimes the administration would talk to me slowly, like I didn't know English that well. And so they would talk loud and talk slow. (laughs) And yeah, it was just, it's such a weird experience because like you're being talked to, like you should know something or like have that expectation. And then you have to explain yourself. And it's just like, makes you think about your identity a lot. (laughs) Like what it means to be Asian. I think language has a really big role in this because I feel like it's the key identifier of like not fitting in in a way because it's like when we were in China, it's like if I just walked around and said nothing, I just blended in like, you know, no one would really know. But the second someone tried to interact with me, because I remember when we were starting abroad, like, you know, if there's problems with paying or something like the staff would come up to me and like I knew some Chinese, but there were people in our program who knew more Chinese than me. And I'm like, I'm sorry, sir, but you're going to have to talk to the white girl because she knows more Chinese than me. Like, I know it doesn't make sense to you, but like, I'm not your girl. Another thing I wanted to bring up when we were talking about language and stuff is like, I don't know if this has happened to you, Kate, but where I live, it's like, you know, you have pretty good public transportation. So a lot of times, like, I won't be just like hopping in my car and like hopping out. So like, I'll be in places where, you know, you can interact with random people. I have had the random person just not even stop to talk or anything, but would just be like, ni hao. And I'm just like, excuse me? Like, even if I spoke Chinese, that's not cool. Yeah, the random, oh my God, just like the amount of times that someone has just yelled that or like yelled some version of like Asian language at me, like a microaggression, it makes me mad. (sighs) I think also kind of the opposite of what you're talking about is like when the administration talks to you slowly, like I don't one but i feel like this happened at least once where it's like the implication of like oh your english is good (laughs) and i'm just like yeah it is it's my native language some of this could have to do with that the adoptee community within the asian community is i don't know like i mean there's good numbers of people who are adopted from asian countries but i feel like it's so small that people don't think that if you look asian that you could be raised outside of an asian family And I don't know how that's related to what I was saying before, but that is my random thought. I feel like the experience of being an adoptee in general is already you have like this idea of who are you. And then like you all have been saying, like having that idea of like being adopted from an entirely different country kind of exacerbates that or like makes it even greater. 
One thing that I was wondering, Kate, have you done any international travel? Yeah. Okay, because I have a story, and it's technically not international. It's technically from Puerto Rico. I was, what, like 16? I was on a school trip. So for the last days, like, we got up, toured all day, and then our flight was at, like, one in the morning or something. And so it got pushed, so it was, like, two or something by the time we were boarding. And I don't know how this happened, but I'm pretty sure I was, like, the last person or, like, one of the last students to get on. And right before you got on the plane, like, after they scanned your ticket and you're just, like, walking down the, I don't know, whatever the plane walkway's called. And there was a U.S. immigrations officer standing there and he stops me and he asked me, are you a citizen? And I said, yes. And then he asked me, how did you become a citizen? And me now would have just been like, oh, I was naturalized. Like, just let me get on this plane. But I was 16, kind of freaked out. And so I literally just panicked and I was just like, my mom adopted me. And like, that was my answer to how I became a citizen. And then he let me on the plane. But it's like when I was telling Kaylee this and I was like, it's one of those situations where like, for me, like, I don't want to just claim he's being racist, but I'm like, didn't he just see like 15 other 16 year olds get on a plane? Like, I'm clearly with the school group. Like, like, okay, fine. Let's give him the benefit of the doubt. You're doing the job. Okay. Ask me if I'm a citizen. But like, do you have to ask me how I became one? Like, what, what does it matter? If I'm a citizen, I'm a citizen. And it's one of those things where I don't necessarily want to say, oh, he did it because I'm Chinese. But also I'm like, everyone else on my school trip was white. So <laughs> like, I don't know. But I was just wondering if you had any like bad experiences with travel like that. Yeah, unfortunately, yes. <laughs> I think a lot of this is like traveling with my family because they're all clearly white <laughs> and I am not. So yeah, we definitely faced a few like questions. I remember when I was like five or six, I, I don't remember where we were going, but my mom was flying somewhere out of the country first. And then my grandparents were taking me to meet up with her. And like the airport security had my grandparents question because they thought that they were stealing a little Chinese child. And, and they were just like, whose child is this? Because like my grandparents have different last names than I do. So it was like, I don't know, a, more of a red flag for them. Yeah, it's just like situations like that or where like people like, I remember another time I was traveling with my mom and she and I don't have the same last name. And the people were like looking at our identification and they were like, is that your mom? And I was being a terrible child. And I was like, I don't know, are you? And then, they were like, and then the immigration was like, ma'am, <laughs> that was not a good look for me. But that was not the right answer. No, I was like 12 and being like a sassy little preteen. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, that was. Oh, my gosh. That one was my bad. But yeah, it's just like the constant like questioning of whether or not you're a family. It's just, yeah, I think that was pretty common. But I think now I would hope that families aren't questioned to that extent because like families come in all different shapes and sizes and it's more. Like there's a lot more representation for diverse families, so I would hope that that wouldn't be as common. Or the fact that like your parents have to travel with adoption papers every single time you fly together—that was pain, and it seemed unnecessary. Exactly. So like, it was either the summer before the Puerto Rico thing or the summer after. But my mom and I went with my aunt. We went back to China for one of those homeland tours where you see the country, you visit your orphanage, you know that whole whole thing. And 
When we got back, our plane was delayed leaving China. So we got into Toronto late and we missed our connecting flight. So they put us up in a hotel. But because we were going in a hotel, we had to go through Canadian immigration because we were leaving the airport. And I think a lot of this has to do with the fact that there are parental kidnappings. Like it is a thing. And like, I understand that this man was doing his job. But my mom is a single mom. So when we were going through the Canadian immigration, the guy was basically asked, "Uh, so where's her father? And it was the type of thing where the tour agency that we went through, like, prepped us on all this. And they were like, have the adoption papers. And then my mom also had a document saying that she was the sole legal and physical, like, parent. Because if she didn't have that, they would think that she was kidnapping me from my father. And it's like one of those things where you understand that this has a role because you do want to protect that, like, one kid who is getting kidnapped from their family. But I think like you're saying, it kind of goes to that whole thing where you're constantly having to explain. They have to explain like, this is my family. This is how my family set up. I don't look like my family. I only have a mom. And it's like the weird dynamic of constantly having to say this and to say it to people who are like complete strangers. Like, Kaylee, I don't know how many complete strangers you go up to and be like, I have a mom, a dad and two brothers. Like, I don't think that's a thing. You look shocked. It's not. I've had to do that like zero times. Like, zero. And we all have different hair colors, too. So when you travel with your family, they when you were young, like, my mom was, like, so happy when I turned 18 because she was like, we don't need the papers anymore. But, Kaylee, when you were young, your parents never traveled with, like, your birth certificates to prove that they were your parents? No. <laughs> like, like, they never did that. And also, I feel like your guys' experiences with airports maybe have been quite a bit different than mine because, like, I've been stopped maybe, like, once or twice in my whole life, and it was never for things that actually mattered. It was like, oh, you have yogurt in your bag? Oh, we need to confiscate that. Did you guys want to wrap it up, or did you have more that you wanted to talk about? I think we might want to just end with sharing some resources if people want to learn more or if they want to learn about what we said in this podcast in terms of historical facts and events and stuff like that, but want it more succinctly put or more eloquently put, we will also list our sources down below so that you can read them. One thing I wanted to share was the Hollaback and Asian American Advancing Justice. They kind of did a collaboration for bystander intervention training to stop harassment against Asian Americans and other xenophobic harassment. I wanted to share this because I think it might have come from that Eugene Yang documentary, but I think one of the people in it said something that was along the lines of like, I'm not necessarily scared of being a victim of anti-Asian hate. I'm scared of being a victim of anti-Asian hate and no one intervening. And so I think it's important that if you are Asian or if you're not Asian and you want to do something that's a little more substantive than just making an Instagram post, because I mean, those are great, but those aren't going to have like long term effects. So if you want to do something that kind of can be more of a long term action is I think it'd be good to do one of these trainings so that if you do see something happen, like you are prepared to intervene and do it safely. And so, yeah, I think that'd be a good, good resource. We will also link it. Another one is the Asian Mental Health Collective. They have an API therapist directory because I know we've talked about this before, the benefits of talking to a therapist. And I think, at least for me, with some of these issues that 
I would be more comfortable talking to someone who is also Asian, and that might be the case for other people. So if you want to find one that's in your area, you can go to their website and they have lists of therapists that you can look up. One resource that I also found to be really helpful was the Asian American series on PBS. Um, we'll link that down below. As, um, it has a lot of really great background, especially in terms of like historical events. And I would highly recommend watching it. One book that I would recommend would be All You Can Ever Know. Did you read this, Kate? Hmm. So it's a book from a Korean-American adoptee. She was adopted transracially. It was a domestic adoption. And so this talks about her growing up because she grew up in rural Oregon, which was, you know, in a predominantly white and her experience growing up, searching for her birth family, and also her feelings around being pregnant with her own child and how her experience with adoption kind of played into that. And like we mentioned before, I would also recommend the Somewhere Between documentary for a different perspective on internationally adopted people. Also, this is like kind of tangential, but not. Um, How Much of These Hills is Gold, which we just read, also told a story of Asian Americans growing up during the gold rush. It is a fictional story. However, it does a lot to tell some narratives that maybe you don't always encounter in history. So that could also be a good thing if you're looking for a good read. Our next book club will be dropping on the first Monday in June. It'll be June 7th. And that will be Lot Stories by Brian Washington. We hope you found our discussion on the history, a brief history of Asians in America, and also hearing a little bit about my experience and Kate's experience growing up and, you know, our lives now being Asians and part of the Asian community, but also not raised in it. If you have any thoughts that you would like to share with us, you may send them to our email or send us a DM on Instagram. And don't forget to rate Zillennials Podcast on Apple Podcasts. You can find us at Zillennials Podcast on Instagram or email us at zillennialspodcast at gmail.com. Feel free to hit the subscribe button and stay a while. Thanks so much for listening and we'll see you next time.